Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2019-20 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On today's show, we will recap the big win over Memphis and the double overtime thriller with UConn. We'll also get you ready for this week's games on the road at Temple and a big home matchup with the Houston Cougars. Great show coming up right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor is out on the East Coast covering the Shockers on their first AAC road swing of the season. But first, we will recap last week's game, starting with the 76-67 win over Memphis. The Shockers never trailed in this game. It was an electric atmosphere. You never really had, you didn't really have one player uh, go off in this game. But I think that shows the overall depth and uh, you know quality of of athletes that this team has. So Taylor, your thoughts on the Memphis win? Yeah, I mean, this was kind of the, the, the tale of, of two teams right now. And you could hear it in the press conferences afterward. You talked to Penny Hardaway. What didn't happen for Memphis? We didn't play as a team. We didn't share the basketball. We didn't, you know, we weren't connected on the floor. We had one or two guys trying to do everything for us. What did Greg Marshall say? Man, this team, they, they love each other. They share the basketball. They're, they're such a unit out there on the floor. And, you know, that's the story of the season for Wichita State. You know, this is, there's no superstar. You know, Eric Stevenson, Jamarius Burton, yes, they've taken huge big-time leaps from freshman to sophomore year, but, you know, they're probably, they're not in that Ron Baker, that Fred Van Vliet uh, stratosphere yet. But, uh, you know, this team is so good. Uh, just the, the depth, uh, just the, the number of options they have. All these guys can step up. You know, one game it's JB, the next it's Eric. Sometimes it's Jamie. Uh, you know, Trey Wade's gone off. You know, Morris Udeze. I think they've had like six leading, six different leading scorers this year, maybe even seven. So um, that that just shows you just uh, you know Wichita State and Memphis playing two different styles of basketball, and you know obviously uh, one is going in uh, the wrong direction, the other is going in the right direction. So that that was the biggest takeaway for me was just how different they different styles that they played and and you know WSU that that team depth that team first mentality that came out on top this is just the sixth time that you've had two ranked opponents playing each other at Charles Coke Arena. Wichita State is now 4-2 and two in those games. They're 7-2 and two under head coach Greg Marshall against the top 25. So just showing they're, they're able to uh, uh, keep things going there. And uh, also the defense was a big key here. They forced 18 turnovers by Memphis. We were worried about how the Shockers would be able to handle Memphis's length and their athleticism. Really, they did pretty darn good there and were able to force Memphis into a lot of mistakes. Yeah, these are two, you know, top 20 defenses. And, 
that was what it was going to come down to. And I did a couple of radio interviews with the, the Memphis radio stations and uh, they asked me for score predictions. And I said, basically, you know, which offense do you trust more right now? And, you know, the answer had to be which state coming into this game. You know, Memphis's offense has floundered in, in big moments uh, this season. And obviously it did so again. And you got to give it Wichita State a lot of credit. You know, obviously they play tremendous defense and force teams. Uh, what's impressed me was that, you know, Greg Marshall, he's, he's embraced the, the analytics. He's, he's embraced, you know, running people off the three-point line to force them into to contested two-point jumpers. And, you know, he talks about that stuff more and more now. And, you know, how the, the goal of WSU's defense, you know, protect the rim, protect the, you know, force tough shots from the, the outside. Ideally, you know, you want contested two-point jumpers, and that's exactly what uh, WSU's defense did was, you know, they, they took away Memphis's, you know, top scores, and they turned a lot of non-shooters. They gave them wide-open shots, and they, they let them shoot, and, you know, they just played the odds, and Memphis could not uh, make them pay, and it was very similar to what WSU did so well against Ole Miss the game before, leave the non-shooters play really good defense on the, the the top scorers. So, and, you know, obviously there's not much you can do against Precious Achua. I mean, that guy's an NBA lottery pick. He got a lot of his late. And, uh, you know, WSU played outstanding defense. Uh, you know, you take away that last, you know, three-minute uh, rally by Memphis when they, they came back all the way down from, from 19. You know, obviously you, you include that in the totals. You've got to give Memphis the credit. But, you know, you take out that little stretch, and WSU's defense was just dynamite. I think they were around like 0. 0.7 points per, points per possession. So uh, that's absolutely stellar against a, a great team like Memphis. So, um, yeah, in, in, in the battle, the, the two great defenses, uh, WSU's came out on top. This was a game that got a lot of national attention, and what better commercial for Greg Marshall and the Shocker program than the atmosphere that we saw at Coke Arena? I was shocked at, at how many people got the message to wear black. There was only a few little speckles in there of, of folks who uh, didn't have the black shirt on, and it seemed like you know every possession was important. The crowd was standing up for most of the time, certainly very loud. I think there were some, you know. Uh, complaints that could be had about the officiating uh and maybe even on both sides there but overall what what a fantastic atmosphere last thursday absolutely you know i've done this three years and i thought that was the best atmosphere uh the second very close uh, runner up would be uh when cincinnati came to town uh, another one of those top 25 matchups to coke arena with the aac title on the line that first year uh that was another uh, uh, just absolute dynamite crowd and a lot at stake there, but I think this was just different. You know, WSU after, you know, they, they took the, you know, they, they got humbled last year. Uh, a lot of these fans, you know, they're so used to winning. And now, you know, this is kind of the, the surprise, you know, the Shockers are, are this good this early. And I think people are really starting to get, the, uh, get behind them. And, you know, Memphis, they're the, you know, the big bad, you know, the, the team that's kind of the, Hollywood with all the, the hype, the number one recruiting class, you know, you have the, the famous coach and, uh, you know, I think uh, WSU fans just uh, do not really care for that. And I think they were more than excited to, to bring that, that energy and uh, absolutely, you know, uh, national audience, national TV audience. And uh, the, the, the roundhouse is rocking. It's uh, blacked out. It looks great on TV and, you know, WSU played its brand of basketball and, uh, you know, three years ago when Wichita State was, you know, thinking about this move to the American, you know, this is what Greg Marshall dreamed of. You know, these nationally ranked matchups on national TV, 
being able to put Wichita State, the brand, out there and, uh, you know, to, to come up with a win and, and come up with a wire-to-wire win the way they did, you know, I think a lot of people saw that, maybe a lot of AP voters. You know, as we found out today, they move up seven spots. Uh, that's a little bit bigger jump than I was expecting them to make. So maybe people saw that and, and took note. But, yeah, that was a great, great showing for, for Wichita State, uh, not just the basketball team, but also the fan base. Let's move on to Sunday's win over UConn. As I mentioned, a double overtime thriller, 89-86 the final. Wichita State let a nine-point lead slip away in the final minute of regulation, but they were able to hold on. My question for you, Taylor, is this. Was that not the perfect situation that Coach Marshall uh, would ask for? Uh, Of course, you want to win, but the fact that you get these guards some experience on the road, double overtime game, important, you know, uh, a lot of heart Doctors in Wichita probably were getting some calls for for new patients coming in today. So, uh, you know, just just talk about uh, you know now that we know the result, what what you thought overall about that game? Yeah, that's uh, I kind of wrote about that in my story. Is that you know you can think that you're tough, you can think that you have mental toughness, but you know until you're tested, until you get in those situations, you haven't been in before. Um, for a lot of these freshmen and even some of the sophomores, you know, they haven't had this kind of pressure on them, you know, being the ranked team, being the favorite, uh, expecting to win a conference championship. I mean, this was new for all these guys. And I know they thought they were tough, but, but man, did they show they were tough in the, in the two overtimes, you know, a lesser team would have, uh, you know, collapsed after, you know, giving up a nine point lead in the last 65 seconds. But, you know, Wichita State, give credit to, to Greg Marshall. You know, he had some, you know, Grant Sherfield. He was really, really struggling. He trusted him, though. He kept him on the floor. He believed in him. Uh, and I think that empowers these, these players and, and, you know, gives them confidence in themselves, knowing that, you know, Marshall uh, isn't going to give up on them. You know, it's a sign of a first turnover. And, um, man, you know, so many big plays, you know, Dexter Dennis, Morrissey Deze. Uh, Surefield, Tyson ATN, you know, all these guys uh, just came up with big, big plays, a lot of them in that second overtime. And, and man, you know, if you would have taken a poll for Wichita State fans, how do you feel going into overtime after just blowing that nine-point lead? You know, all the momentum uh, with UConn, I don't think, uh, you know, many would have thought that, that WSU had, had that in them uh, to pull out a, a win like that. So, I think, uh, like you said, now that you know the result, I think this is a is a positive for this team. Now that these guys know that they're tough, they know that they have that mental toughness. Uh, they they can dig down and find that extra level. So yeah, you know, obviously you you'd want to close out a nine point game and uh, with only a minute left, but but what a what a great lesson, what a great teaching moment for for Marshall and the coaching staff. And um, yeah, I think they're going to spin this as a, as a positive going forward and. And now they, you know, have some experience to draw on with, you know, eight eight conference road games left. One of the things I thought was interesting in watching the telecast was they talked so much about how Marshall does not call timeouts. He just hardly ever calls them. They actually had a statistic after they got the timeout in the uh, late in the game where Eric dove on the ball. That was our 15th timeout in 15 games. And, and I thought it was interesting because I, I – I, thought about that a little bit after the game and it seems like you know Marshall wants to win but he's not going to sacrifice a battle and end up losing the war he'll he'll let guys struggle he'll let guys 
have to dig a little bit deeper over the course of a season, like in that for Grant Sherfield fighting through the end of regulation and the two overtimes to find something within himself at the end of that and come out better for it because that's what he's going to need when you get to the NCAA tournament, when you get late in the season and conference championships and NCAA tournament games and Sweet 16s and things like that are on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Marshall has actually said that, come out and said that in interviews that to kind of explain why he doesn't like calling timeouts to, to stop runs and calling timeouts on the road when his, his team is in danger because, you know, he likes to see, you know, his players work it out. He, he doesn't want to bail them out with a timeout. And I know fans, they go crazy and, and they want, you know, you know, stop the run. You know, they see, you know, Sherfield struggling to get the ball past half four and they're like, why don't you just call a timeout to save him? Well, you know, now Grant has been through those situations, you know, the hard way. You know, he had um, a career-high five turnovers. I could have been one or two more. He got bailed out on a couple of those passes. But I talked to him after the game, and uh, he mentioned that. He, he said that, you know, how do you learn? You learn through experience. And now I've experienced that kind of, you know, adversity. I've experienced, you know, turning the ball over when I'm not used to. And this is how I grow from it. And, I thought that was a really mature answer for, you know, a freshman who had just played, you know, probably a game that wasn't up to his standards where, you know, I'm sure he was frustrated with some of the mistakes he made and decisions and uh, to stand up and say, you know, this is how I'm going to learn from it. You know, it just goes to show, you know, just how mature these freshmen are, how mature Grant Sherfield is, Tyson Etienne. You know, these guys are not, uh, you know, just being around them day to day, talking to them. These are not, you know, 19-year-old kids. I mean, these, these kids have, you know, mature minds, the way they view basketball. And, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Greg Marshall identified that early recruiting process, and that's why he targeted these guys. And I think it's paying off. But, yeah, to, to your point, I think uh, Marshall wants to see, you know, them go through experiences and, and, you know, better to do it in January, February, and then you can you be prepared for those battles in March when it really matters. Wichita State now the lone unbeaten team in conference play. Uh, and, you know, obviously the team has done great. They're 15-1, and one, nine straight wins. But as the season goes on and as the games become more important, you start to, you know, maybe look at little small areas they can improve on. want to talk to you about a couple different ones. First with free throw shooting. Should be, we be worried about their free throw shooting just yet? Man, that's a tough call. I mean, it seems like it kind of comes and goes. You know, for the season, they're they're just under seventy percent. Um, they've had games where where they you know shoot really really well at the free free throw line, and and then others where they really really struggle. And a lot of those have come recently. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you know they you know that they work on it. Uh, you know that they're in the gym, and uh, it's just one of those things where you just have to step up and you know remain poised in a game situation and knock them down. And, you know, it's so hard to simulate those game situations when you're, you're battling for, for 40 minutes and you get fouled and you're trying to catch your breath. And, you know, that, that stuff just wears on you. It's different than just, you know, going to a practice gym where all you're do, doing is shooting free throw after free throw after free throw. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I wouldn't be concerned about it uh, yet, but, you know, I think, they, they, they do trust, you know, Eric, they trust Grant, uh, guys like that to, to have the ball laid. And, you know, JB was on a nice roll until until there at the very end where he missed two 
two free throws that, that could have clinched in double overtime. So he he's a little inconsistent. You know, Trey Wade has had his struggles. So um, I think they trust uh, Tyson Etienne, too. He's a pretty good free throw shooter. So, yeah, it's just going to depend on, you know, getting the ball to the right people uh, to, to make those free throws at the end of the game. But, but yeah, I think uh, – I mean, I wouldn't blame fans if they are worried about it because it has been a little bit of an issue here lately. An interesting stat I read today, the Shockers have actually been out-rebounded in each of their first three conference games. So when you look at the film, are you seeing anything in particular that they have not been doing on the glass here recently? Yeah, that's that's, uh, a little misleading. Uh, You know, total rebounds, I I look at offensive rebound percentage. That that gives a more true... um, you know, representation and, and it, all three of the games have basically been dead even. Uh, you know, ECU, WSU is at 29%, and then they give up 29%. Uh, Memphis, uh, they get 35%, they give up 37%, so uh, pretty close. And then UConn, uh, they get 34%, and they give up 38 So, again, pretty close. Um, you know, offensive rebound, I mean, all those percentages are, are very, very good. The defensive rebounding, that's kind of the problem. That's where WSU has been very, very good historically. So giving up, you know, 32-plus 30, percent, uh, not great for a Greg Marshall defense. So that's the that's the, the area where this team can get can get better at. And, you know, those offensive rebounds, they, they came back, and that, that really hurt them in that UConn game. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's an area where where WSU just needs needs to be tougher. You know, Trey Wade's got to step up. You know, those centers got to step up, and then uh, you know the guards, uh, those guys have to step up too. So, um, yeah, that's an area that you know right now it, it's about even, but you know WSU's you know used to, to enjoying an advantage there, so they need to get back to that. You already mentioned Wichita State up to number 16 in this week's AP Top 25 poll, up to number 25 in the Ken Palm rankings. Their net ranking is now number 9, which that is the metric that the selection committee will look at. So, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to continue to ask you this all season, but has the ceiling changed? Has the expectations changed? Should Wichita State be the favorite to win the American Conference now? Uh, right now, yeah, they're playing the best basketball. And uh, you look at the, the wild and, and crazy weekend we had in American basketball last week. And for Wichita State, you know, they almost fell victim to that wild and crazy weekend uh, with that UConn game, but they survived. And that's the difference right now. And, you know, to already have a one game up in the standings over Houston, over Memphis, over Cincinnati, that's huge. And, uh, you know, WSU has the best win of, all of those teams, they've already taken down Memphis. So um, that's that's big, and they survived the first row test at UConn. Um, you know, obviously you have to do work uh, to, uh, Wednesday night at Temple. And then if they win uh, at home Saturday against Houston, that's kind of the other team that was expected to challenge them. So, you know, you're looking at if in the first two weeks you can take down Memphis and Houston, hold court at home. Uh, WSU would be in, in full control of the American uh, I mean, obviously Cincinnati could make some noise, but, you know, with their non-conference, you know, I have a hard time believing they're not going to slip up uh, at some point and lose a game they shouldn't just because that's how their season has gone so far. So, yeah, I think uh, you ask anyone in the AAC, which State's the favorite right now. CBS Sports' John Rothstein had a tweet over the weekend that said the bottom of the American Conference can eat the middle, and it really seems like, uh, you know, 
every single one of these teams is able to go out there and beat someone, but Wichita State probably playing the most consistent out of everyone right now, uh, and and that's why they've uh, been at the top of the standings. Absolutely, and uh, you know it's crazy to think after three games, every other team in the in the American already has one loss, and that just shows you how how much better the the bottom is. Kind of like John mentioned. Uh, you know, two lanes. They already have two wins. East Carolina, they're two and one. You know, who saw that coming? Both of those teams were pushovers last year. So uh, for them to, to be factors now and uh, who knows, you know, maybe that win over East Carolina and Wichita, that, that might look good, you know, at the end of the conference season. You know, East Carolina, they're playing really, really well right now and uh, playing with a lot of confidence. And um, yeah, so, you know, uh, Temple at one and three surprises me. You know, UConn now one and three that surprises me uh ucf zero and four i didn't think they were going to challenge for the top but i didn't think they would be zero and four uh to start the conference season either so yeah a lot of a lot of surprises so far and i think it's just going to be a one big jumbled mess from you know four to four to basically 12 i think uh you know you could convince me of any of those teams finishing fourth right now I want to go back on two things from this past week's game. First being, and you had it in your story on Kansas.com, Dexter Dennis and the impact that he's had, particularly against UConn yesterday, scoring 16 points. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that was, you know, the best he's looked all season, you know, obviously since he came back. But even those first two games, he had pretty good games. But uh, I thought Dexter, you know, in the big moments, you know, the first overtime, UConn takes its uh, takes the lead. You know, this is the uh, a danger possession for WSU. If it comes up empty, UConn's going to get the ball back up two chance to to go up two possessions. You know, that could have really really been dangerous for WSU. And I know a lot of people were probably a little nervous when Dexter put up that shot. Uh, I think it was like five seconds into the shot clock, kind of a contested three, but man, he shot it confidently, and that's what you want to see from Dexter. And he switched it, you know, right over the outstretched hands of Sidney Wilson and uh, to put WSU up one. And that really kind of sparked him and, uh, you know, ignited the team, kind of gave them confidence. Like I said, you know, if he misses that, that's a huge swing. Uh, UConn maybe could have put the, the game away, but, you know, WSU goes back up one. And then at the other end, you know, UConn scores. They take the lead again. And what does Dexter do? Um, he he comes off a screen. He almost had a. He probably had a chance for a, an open three right from where he he made that last one. But he pump fakes, takes one dribble, kind of hesitates and just blows past Sidney Wilson. And you know that was the part of the game where Dexter was really trying to work on this summer is that off the dribble, off the bounce, beating defenders. You know, proving he's not just a spot up shooter. And and man, that might have been his best drive of his career. Uh, you know, you think back to last year, he didn't have too many of them. So this is probably the best, you know, drive, the best he's looked in his career, exploding off the dribble, beating him baseline, and then going up and under and finishing around the other end and uh, drawing the foul. So that three-point play, again, it, it didn't win the game for WSU. But, man, those were crucial, crucial points when WSU absolutely needed him, that little six-point spurt. So, um, yeah, really good things. Uh, from Dexter. I didn't get a chance to talk to him after the game, but I talked to his teammates and they were all just so happy for him. And even Marshall said, you know, I care so much about that, that kid and uh, just really put things in perspective how, you know, this team is really united behind Dexter and they want to see him succeed so bad. 
and you know, 16 points, seven rebounds. I think that qualifies as a slump buster. I think Dexter Dennis is back, and just looking at him pregame, looking at the way he moves, the, the the way he shoots in pregame, you can tell the confidence is building. And after a performance like that, I think it's officially back. And and man, you know how dangerous is WSU going to be? They made it this far, 15 and one, with Dexter not really being anywhere close to himself. So man, if he if he goes back to that that star that he was last year at the end of last year, man, Wichita State's going to be very, very dangerous. Last point, and we'll go to break. We don't talk about officiating a whole lot on this show, but Thursday night, particularly, I believe his name is Scott Lucky, or Jamie Lucky is his name, I believe. Jamie Lucky. He was freaking horrible, and that technical <laughs> that got called on Trade Wade was ridiculous. So just l- let's speak that into the universe. Those guys were trash. Yeah, and you could just tell. I, I kind of noticed. I mean, I usually don't pay that much attention to, to officials, but you could just tell early in the game that, that Jamie Lucky was, you know, he had, he not, I don't know if agenda is the right word, but. Oh, man, he had he was, an agenda. He, he had an agenda. Yeah, he was, he came into that game and he was uh, very clear that, that, you know, he was going to be a part of it. And I think uh, he called a, a delay a game warning on Wichita State and uh, just real ticky tacky stuff that you usually don't see. And maybe that was just because, you know, it's a big game. It's on national TV. You don't want, you know, teams kind of messing around. But, you know, I, I thought that was a little too upside. And, and then, you know, Trey Wade, yes, he probably took too aggressive of a step toward him. But, you know, you read his lips. I mean, he's just saying, I want to know what I did, and you know there needs to be that that ability to communicate with uh, with referees to you know discuss things to say okay what do I need to do to not get a, a foul called on me next time down. I think that's what Trey Way. You know he's like the nicest guy on the team. Uh, I don't think there was any ill will there. He was just honestly looking for an explanation on why that wasn't an over the back call. And um, yeah, I mean to get teed up that fast uh, that was pretty ridiculous and and then i thought uh sunday at uconn i don't i don't know if the officials were much better there for both sides Rewatching that game man there's so many you know that's a tough game to officiate too i mean those are two very physical teams two uh, teams that with big time athletes going at it but man there were some really really bad calls and uh they went and, both uh, ways really though really- i don't i i do i agree with you i don't think the officiating was very good but I will also be hard-pressed to say that the officiating made a difference in the outcome. There were numerous times where Wichita State lost possessions because they didn't call a foul or uh, they call three seconds, phantom three seconds in the lane, things like that. So yeah, I, I yeah. definitely don't yeah. think it had an impact on the outcome. Yeah, both ways was pretty bad, and uh, uh, both ways for the announcers were pretty bad too. I was uh, That was a tough tough rewatch uh, on my end that was <laughs> those guys were i don't know if you guys watched the, the telecast but yeah that was uh, pretty brutal in my opinion taylor what do you think about whether to foul or not foul up three well you know i i'm more of the analytical side i think uh, the numbers show that that you need to foul uh in the closing seconds you know around that five six second mark uh, but I mean, this game, you know, with the context, uh, as I wrote in that story, you know, you have to think, you know, UConn, you know, they're, they're getting a ton of offensive rebounds. 
do you trust WSU to get an offensive rebound when it absolutely needs one? You know, it makes you, you know, kind of second guess. And then if you find that they make that second free throw and they go down one, do you trust your your team to not turn the ball over against that full court press? And, you know, UConn was giving WSU uh, a lot, a lot of problems on that full court press. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, in that scenario, I don't know if I, if I don't agree with, uh, with Greg Marshall there and, and just to defend and, you know, obviously you're not banking on, you know, Dexter Dennis falling down. You're banking on, on getting a hand in the shooter's face like Jamarius Burton did. You know, they did the same thing in the second overtime, uh, up three closing seconds and they chose to defend and, uh, JB got a good contest on, I think it was Christian Vital, a deep three and he missed it and WSU won. And I'm sure that's, that was the plan the first time around. You just can't account for somebody slipping on the floor and giving up a wide open three pointer. Then a player, who uh, uh, who hasn't hit a three all season? He makes two against you in the same game. So a lot of uh, freaky things there. But um, I don't know if you guys saw that story I did today. But you know the the four times it's happened the last three years, crazy stuff has happened all four times. I don't even know if it, it matters what what WSU does. It just seems like they're just you know attracted to the drama. I, I agree. I think you said it best. You said context is everything. You got a bunch of guys out there with four fouls. Maybe you could sub somebody in to, you know, just to foul. You could send in Noah Fernandez just to foul. But, you know, at that point, you're then trusting a freshman to make the right decision as opposed to having your best defenders on the floor. So there's there's a lot of context and a lot of nuance in a situation like that. Yeah, that that was my thought, too. And when I went back and, you know, granted, I had the, the, the privilege to, to go back, you know, hindsight 2020, uh, you know, Marshall's having to make these decisions on the fly, but, you know, if he was concerned with, uh, you know, so many guys with four fouls on the court, he also had Tyson Etienne on the bench with only, I think he had like two or three fouls. So, you know, maybe sub him in instead of Sherfield, have him guard Altariq Gilbert. You know he's going to get the ball late. And I thought that when Gilbert drove the lane and got to that free throw line, that was the perfect perfect uh, chance to, to foul, wrap him up and foul put him on the foul line. I think that would have been like uh, five seconds left, but, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of, you know, arm, armchair quarterbacking, a lot of hindsight, and, you know, these kids have to make those split-second decisions. But, um, yeah, I think that, that was an alternative. But, like I said, I mean, you can't plan on, on someone uh, slipping uh, on the defensive possession. If he doesn't, they probably get a good contest on a on a below average shooter. He probably misses. So um, who knows? You know, it's one of those situations where you know you could go back and forth. And you know, obviously Greg has this philosophy, and he's been pretty consistent in in deciding to to defend down the stretch. The results certainly speak for themselves. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll get you ready for this week's games at Temple and home against Houston. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. We'll move now into our game preview, starting with Wednesday's matchup with the Temple Owls. The Owls are 9-6 on the year and 1-3 and 
in conference. Game's a little bit of a later tip, 8 p.m. Central Time, and will be broadcast on ESPNU. Temple had some promise. They have some, you know, resume-building wins, USC, A&M, St. Joseph's, but they've lost three straight to Tulsa, Houston, and this uh, past weekend against Tulane. So what do you see when you look at Temple, Taylor? Yeah, this is... uh... It could be a very dangerous game for Wichita State because you just don't know how Temple's going to come out. Uh, you know, Qu- uh, Quentin Rose is, you know, he's a pro. Nate Pierre-Louise, one of my favorite players in the conference. So this team does have talent. Um, but, yeah, I think if WSU can get up early, they can have a strong first half. Uh, that's going to bode very, very well for the Shockers because, you know, you, just, you don't know how Temple's going to react to going down once again already with a 1-3 and record. The Shockers and Temple have had some good matchups here over the last few years, and you feel like you've you've seen Rose and Pierre Louis, uh, you know, it, it, uh, playing against Wichita State a lot. Uh, as far as scoring, they score sixty eight point nine points per game and allow sixty three point seven. They're shooting at forty point four percent from the field, thirty two point two percent from three. They do average seven point nine steals per game, so it's another athletic team like UConn that uh, certainly the Shockers will have to value the basketball. Yeah, I mean, Temple, their defense, they're actually top 30 on Ken Palm. And, and as you mentioned, very good at, at stealing the ball, forcing turnovers. Uh, so, yeah, this is a game where, where WSU, you know, they're going to have to bring it on offense. And, um, you know, I think that the matchups are, are very, very good for the Shockers. So on defense, you know, Temple's offense has really, really struggled this season. Um, you know, they, they can't finish at the rim. They take a lot of contested twos. Um, they're struggling from the three-point line. So I think WSU should be able to, to grind this one out. But, you know, yeah, it's just going to you, – you can't let, you know, the offense slip up. You know, if Temple is able to stick around in this game and, and ugly it up, um, you know, they're going to have the home crowd behind them and could see another crazy scenario like, uh, like Sunday at UConn. If we asked you to make a prediction, what do you got? Yeah, like I said, I think WSU, uh, I think they match up really, really well in this one. I think their defense is going to gonna play uh, pretty lights out. You know, they've played pretty well the last few games, and I, I think this is a, a situation where Temple, you know, first-year coach, uh, Fran's not there anymore. I think there's a lot of, you know, uh, unhappiness on that team, and I think WSU, I think they're going to win uh, 71. I'll go 71-54. The Owls are current Ken Palm ranked number 89. Moving on to Saturday's home matchup with the Houston Cougars. Game tips at 3 p.m. And uh, still deciding on what network, but more than likely will be ESPN2. Cougars are 12-4 and on the year and 2-1 and in conference. They lost 63-61 to at Tulsa on Saturday. They'll play SMU on Wednesday night before coming to Wichita this weekend. As far as common opponents, they beat South Carolina by 20, but they lost by 6 to Oklahoma State. Big game, and as you've already mentioned, really an opportunity for the Shockers to put some breathing room or put some space between them and the rest of the conference. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, who knows? I mean, uh, I think people need to keep an eye on that SMU-Houston game. I really, really like SMU uh, this season. So I think if if they can maybe sneak up and hand uh, Houston a loss uh, midweek, that's something to watch. But uh, but yeah, you know, Houston, Memphis, Wichita State, those were the three that kind of separated themselves in the non-conference. And, you know, the other two already have one loss. So if WSU can hand Houston its second loss, 
you have a two game advantage on them already, you know, four four or five games into conference play. So big, big time game for the Shockers. You know, they have a lot of tough road road games in that second half. So um, it's gonna be early, it's gonna be really important to to build that lead, hold that lead in the first half first half of conference play. So yeah, this is a big big game for the Shockers. The Cougars score 76.2 points per game and allow 65.7, shoot at 43.9% from the field and 34.5% from three. Their big stat that jumps out, they are plus 11.6 in rebounding margin on the year. So certainly taking care of business on the glass is going to be very important for the Shockers. Yeah, uh, Houston actually ranks number one on Ken Palm in offensive rebounding percentage. So we talked a little bit earlier about WSU's problems keeping teams off the offensive glass, that's defensive rebounding for WSU. So, um, yeah, they're going to get a big, big-time test with Houston, a lot of athletic bigs, a lot of guards that can rebound. So that's going to take a team effort from the Shockers to, to you know, play uh, Houston even or, or win that rebounding uh, battle. So, yeah, that's definitely a stat to watch. And Houston's offense has been pretty dynamite this year. So it's going to be really tough to, to slow them down and, uh, another great test for WSU's defense, but you know, so far they've answered the call. Basically, you know, every every single game since that West Virginia loss, they've risen to the occasion and, and delivered. Their leading scorer is a name that Shocker fans might remember being at KU at 6'5", sophomore guard Quentin Grimes. He averages 13.5 points per game. 6'3", redshirt freshman guard Caleb Mills also averages 12.9. What's your biggest key uh, to the Shockers coming out with a victory on Saturday? Yeah, I think you you mentioned it on the rebounding. I think uh, if they can just play even or, or basically just not let Houston beat them on second chances and you know, just rack up all those second chance points. And, you know, that's how their offense is so good. They have so many talented scorers, but, you know, when they do miss, you know, they're so good at getting the, the rebound, they give themselves second, third, fourth chances. And, uh, you know, that's the, the road, that's a good roadmap to an efficient offense. And I think WSU's uh, defense, I think it's up for the challenge. You know, they have a lot of really good guard defenders, you know, Etienne, Sherfield, have both impressed me how, how good they are as true freshmen. And, and then, you know, maybe you have Dexter Dennis uh, get more more run time there. And uh, JB has been a pretty good defender as well this season. So um, I like that matchup for WSU. And, um, you know, with the way that their their depth and balance is rolling, uh, you know, they're really, really tough to stop. So I think, uh, yeah, one of the biggest keys is going to be that rebounding battle. If WSU can, can uh, you know, rise to the occasion and, you know, take care of the basketball, I think that that's going to be another one. Um, if they can limit turnovers, uh, play using even on the on the glass, and then you know keep uh, keep getting the the job done with that balanced scoring attack. I think those are some keys to the game for Saturday. Houston's currently ranked Ken Palm number 30, Wichita State's 25, so should be a great matchup. Prediction time for this game. Who do you got? Yeah, I think uh, you got to give the advantage to WSU playing at home. I think uh, they'll get the job done here. I do think this is going to be a really, really tough one, though, and uh, this one will probably come down to the, the wire. I'm going to go WSU 70, Houston 68. 
looking at the conference as a whole, and we've already talked about some of these storylines here, but uh, what would, what has been your biggest surprise thus far? I know we're only, you know, three or four games in here for these teams. Is it, you know, Central Florida being 0-4? Is it ECU kind of being in the middle of the, the pack there? You've talked a little bit about SMU. Is, could it be Wichita State and just how well they have played? Uh, kind of what, what has surprised you thus far? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise is just the, yeah, I mean, one of them would be WSU being the only unbeaten after, you know, just three games. I think that kind of speaks to how crazy this conference has been. Another thing that stands out to me is Tulsa being 2-1, and one, beating Houston at home, uh, beating Temple. So they're off to a good start. And then I think maybe the uh, probably the biggest surprise to me personally is East Carolina and Tulane already with two wins each. You know, both of those teams were basically unanimous in, in being picked 11th and 12th, uh, depending on uh, how you had it. But, you know, East Carolina, they've won, you know, you look at it, they've won six of seven, and their only loss was that one to Wichita State on the road where, you know, they, they took the Shockers down to the, the last minute, and they played really, really well at Coke Arena. So they've really impressed me. And, uh, you know, the job Ron Hunter has done at, at Tulane has been very impressive, too. You know, they knocked off Cincinnati at, at home. Uh, they beat Temple on the road. So they're off to a, a really good start. And um, I think those are the two biggest uh, shakeups in the conference is that, you know, like I said, they, they were basically pushovers. Those are automatic wins last year, basically. And now that, uh, you know, they're, they're not just competent, you know, they're, they're very, very good. Uh, I think that's that's the thing that surprised me the most is just how how good those two teams have uh, gotten off to a uh, start in the conference play. Buy or sell time, producer Brian. All right, we're gonna stick with the theme of the American Athletic Conference. First one, you know, talking about all these surprises, all these unexpected results in conference play. Buy or sell is the American beating up on itself going to result in fewer bids for the NCAA tournament. Taylor, go. I'm going to buy that. I think uh, suddenly, you know, Memphis is in a little bit of trouble, you know, if they don't correct this thing. And I know they got the job done at South Florida over the weekend to kind of bounce back. But, you know, this, this home game coming up Thursday against Cincinnati, that's a really, really important game. If they lose that one, you know, the sirens start to go off and, you know, their non-conference wins, you know, North Carolina State, Tennessee, not looking as good uh, now that the conference season is progressing. So I think Houston, they're probably still in. And, you know, I think Memphis is still in too. But, uh, you know, if the AAC continues to beat up on teams like that, you know, man, I think uh, American might drop to, to two. Uh, you know, obviously Wichita State's looking like as close to a lock as possible. And then I think, you know, one of the, you know, whoever finishes second will probably get in. But, you know, Cincinnati, they're probably gone. They probably have to, to win the conference to get in. And so the last two hopes are, are pretty much, you know, Memphis and, sorry, Memphis and Houston. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, if those two teams, you know, if they finish with, you know, uh, six, seven losses in the American, they're going to be on the bubble. And I think that that's going to be, you know, obviously the conference, you know, that makes for exciting games where, you know, anybody could win any night. But we're talking in terms of getting teams to the NCAA tournament. You kind of want that clear top four. And uh, I just don't think that's going to be the case this season just because it looks so so balanced and, and spread out. 
I'm going to buy that as well. I would stress there's a lot of basketball left to be played. I think the winner of this conference will probably have at least three, four conference losses. And so that just speaks to, you know, on any given night. Although I'll also say I do think Wichita State has really separated itself. When you watch Cincinnati, they're not good. I know they're, you know, technically in second place now, but they are not the Cincinnati of the last few years. We already saw the Shockers take down Memphis at home. Big game on uh, on Saturday. You know, Houston is, is very good, but uh, I, I think it's Wichita State and, and really everybody else, and we'll continue to see these type of uh, upsets happen throughout the rest of the season. All right, and we saw, you know, during the UConn game, it seemed as if Eric Stevenson got a little bit of extra attention from the opposing fans. Uh, it was mentioned he was even being heckled during some of his free throws. So buy or sell is Eric Stevenson becoming the villain of the American Athletic Conference. I will 100% buy that. Uh, if you watch the little videos when they're doing the, hey, oh, here we go, are we moving up? Uh, Greg always asks Eric how many wins that is. Uh, now we're up to 15. Uh, just the kind of, he, he's kind of that, you know, fearless assassin uh, uh, as well. So I, I definitely think he's the villain. Yeah, absolutely buy that. He's, uh, and he embraces it too. He, that's, a, that's a role he really likes. He's the same way in high school, the same way growing up. You know, when he's on the road, he loves nothing more than, you know, talking talking smack and backing it up and, you know, silencing uh, opposing crowds. And, you know, you saw a little bit of it last year. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but, you know, fan bases just tend to gravitate toward him. I remember at Indiana last year uh, when he, he went down with that, that injury, you know, they were booing him. I think it was Indiana. It was one of those uh, NIT road games. And he goes down and they started booing him because they, they thought uh, he was faking the injury. And, um, you know, he came back and was, you know, loving loving that uh, extra attention from the crowd. And uh, like I, I said in that tweet, you know, a fan in the front row was heckling him on Sunday. And, you know, he was talking to him, like, in between the free throws, smiled at him. Uh, I saw on TV he winked at him and, and uh, going back down after the second one, he was like pointing at him and stuff. So yeah, he he loves that role, and I'm gonna do a story on that actually pretty soon. So you guys can uh, look forward to that, and some I'm sure there will be some great quotes from Eric because he's uh, he's a quote machine. Okay, Taylor. Now we've talked a little bit about the free throw shooting. It's been inconsistent. I mean, even in the UConn game, it was 79 percent, and yet. Jamarius Burton missing those two free throws at the end of the second overtime that could have basically just ended the game right there, you know, just really, you know, struggling in certain moments. And it's just you never know what's going to happen. So buy or sell the Achilles heel of this shocker team is going to be free throw shooting and it will come back and bite them at some point. I'm going to buy that. I mean, I think if there is one weakness, uh, it's just that the youth, the inexperience and uh, yeah, I mean, the lack of, you know, those knockdown free throw shooters. And I think, I think the youth and the inexperience, I think that's, that's more, more of it. But I do think that will come back and they'll probably lose a road game uh, that they, they shouldn't because they give away a lead because, you know, uh, they have, you know, true freshmen on the ball. And um, I think that's going to play a role. And like you said, you know, uh, the free throws that could have put it away. But I'm convinced that, you know, WSU – it doesn't matter what they do, you know. They're just gonna have some crazy, crazy ending. Uh, as soon as it gets to that three-point spread, you know, they just can't help themselves. They have a flair for the dramatics, so I think they're just bound to that. 
For whatever it's worth, UConn shot 18 more free throws in the game on Sunday than Wichita State did, but I'm also going to buy it. I will say I think their free throw shooting is going to get better as the season moves forward, but they just leave a lot of points at the line right now, and so at some point, that's going to come back and get them. All right, and finally, we've talked a lot about how the minutes of this team are really distributed. There's a lot of guys who can knock down a shot if given an opening. You know, lots of guys scoring between six points and 14 points up there with Eric Stevenson. So there's a lot of depth on this team. So I'm going to ask you, buy or sell, in the context of Greg Marshall's teams, the 2012 team, uh, the, the Final Four team, you're thinking about the teams like their first year in the American with all those seniors. But is this the deepest team that Greg Marshall has had at Wichita State? I'm going to buy that. Uh, absolutely. I, I think it's the deepest team, but they also they they have an identity as one. So they all kind of work together. We've already talked about no super real superstars, all just talented guys. They seem to crave winning. They seem to like each other. Maybe by the time they're seniors, they'll be old and crabby like uh, that uh, That team that lost out to Marshall in the NCAA tournament was. But for the time being, I think Coach Marshall really has their attention. We didn't get to talk about my experience uh, being coached for a day and against Old Miss, but you know, just, just watching the program all day long like that, uh, you can tell like it's kind of a family. And, and so I, uh, I would say that uh, this is the deepest team he's had. I will I will sell that, but I do think this this group becomes the deepest team. I think uh, give them one two more years. I mean, a lot of these guys are going to be around uh, around the program for a while. But like right now, you know, if, if it, you get right down to it, like how many players does Marshall absolutely trust? And it's probably you know seven eight right now. You know that seems to be the uh, when the the rotation gets squeezed, it seems to only be you know Grant Sherfield, Dexter and Morris Udeze coming off the bench. So I think the deepest team was that first year, Brian, you mentioned it, the, the first year in the American, that team to me just had, uh, they just had more experienced guys coming off the bench. You know, you had uh, Daryl Willis, you know, Rano Nerger, uh, Austin Reeves coming off the bench, Connor Frankamp, um, Marcus McDuffie when he returns. Uh, so they, I think they went like nine or ten deep where, where Marshall really, really trusted them. And you, had, uh, you threw in Samaje too. Uh, that first year he won them a couple games in non-conference so I think that team is a little bit deeper but to Dustin's point I think these guys you know Noah Fernandez Anthony Gordon uh, once these guys get some experience and mature um, I think they're going to become those rotation players and I think this this uh, group will be the deepest team but it's probably not right now. You know, we started this podcast after the Shockers went to the Final Four in 2013 and really was at the start of that great three-year run that they had, and, and uh, it was so fun to cover. This has also been uh, really fun and exciting to cover here. Nine straight wins, 15-1, and one, but still think some, some great things can come here. So uh, for all those that are listening, make sure to remind your fellow Shocker fans about us, and uh, of course, you can find us wherever you find your podcast. And Taylor, what should our listeners do? Always rate us five stars.